We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Godspeed, John Glenn. Roger, zero G, and I feel fine. Can I feel out? Okay, I'm out. How does it feel for the United States to be the new record holder? At last, huh? In that baby light, there's no doubt about it. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. That's one small step for man. Hello and welcome. This is Michael Annis, and you're listening to episode 313 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, Apollo 14, Moonwalk 1. Three feet per second. 30. Three feet per second. Look at great. 20 feet. 10. Three feet per second, contact down. Stop. Wait. Oh. They're auto, auto. We're on the You see triplet right there, those three little craters linked together. That's what they were referring to, triplet and doublet. Two uh, overlapping craters on one side, three overlapping craters on the other. Uh, that, uh, that was their uh, marking spot for the landing. for the crew as well as us. <laughs> would they, could they have gone on in without the radar? I don't think they would have had a go at that point because they uh, needed that to get into their pitch over mo- mode. It must have, uh, it must have come at the uh, moment that, uh, uh, it must have come in just about the moment of decision. It, it was close to longer, it. longer to go. Shepard was saying, how about it, Houston? And then they finally just got it. And, yeah. 
Yeah, what's that, about eight degrees of roll we're in, eight degrees slope. Okay, we got the now 43 out. an example of the terrain. Okay, let me copy those down. Those two. Back on our book. Stop is reset. Now 40, hold it. I read up before I got it. 367. Minus 367, minus 1751. Eight degree slope is getting just about toward their... Uh, Maximum that they uh, would prefer to have, like they can go uh, considerably more than that. But I think isn't it 12 degrees that they discussed as being the? Uh, I think that's right. I'm not uh, remember the number, but of course it depends on how the vehicle settles in. Uh, that's why you drop in at a velocity, so you will try to level out. Another example of why that's not exactly a nice place to land. <laughs> It was particularly important that this landing be made at this spot, too. They had a couple of alternate spots in case this had turned out to be too rough. And uh, through the technique they used in landing this time, as opposed to earlier times, they had more maneuvering time. They could have gone, moved over a little bit to some other spots, but then it would have perhaps made the transverse, the walk, the second uh, uh, walk tomorrow, a little too far to reach that cone crater where they want to go for these uh, very old rocks. That, that should be a very significant part of their exploration is getting near that cone crater. And so Apollo 14 is on the moon. CBS News color coverage of the landing of Antares on the moon will continue in a moment. It is impossible to look up at the full moon and not notice Mare Imbrium, the huge dark splotch that forms the man in the moon's right eye. Down where his right cheekbone would be, the lunar module Antares rested on a region of hills and craters called Framaro. The roughness of the place surprised Shepard and Mitchell, who had expected to see something resembling the Mare Plains visited by their predecessors. Instead, it bore the scars of eons of cosmic bombardment. Antares landed safely within 60 feet of its designated touchdown spot. The landing zone was on an 8-degree slope, but still within the safety limit. The crew immediately began their post-landing activities, the first of which was to verify they could stay on the moon. Houston quickly confirmed that they could stay. Roger, Antares. 413 plus 10,000. That was a beautiful one. Yeah, we're slightly off. We might have a slope, but other than that, we're in great shape yep. right on the landing site. Okay, recycling the Parker valve. Hey. Oh. Open. Oh. Open. 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 Couldn't hear the American one close. Talk back, Barbara Fools. The officer has killed in for gray. The time is on. He said, then fire. Dave, Mr. Irm. Time is off. Dave, you And they're coming down. They're coming down. Okay. okay. The fellow tip press monitor. Ascent. Ascent to defense. Okay, ascent to good, descent one. Ascent two are coming down on both. Okay, ascent, helium monitor cycle. Helium monitor. 
Okay, Terry's Houston, you're safe for T1. Okay, Roger, thank After completing their post-landing activities, the crew took photos and described to Houston their view from the lunar module windows. Okay, Houston, and Terry, are you ready for some orders on the surface? That's affirmative, and Terry, go ahead with your description. Okay, with respect to the um, general terrain, we are in a depression here. So we are looking, uh, of course, directly toward Dublin Crater, which appears to be above us in elevation by approximately uh, uh, 25 to 30 feet. The uh, terrain slopes. Uh, Gradually upward in that direction. There, is, there are some undulations, but uh, generally speaking, it uh, slopes uh, gradually upward into the area of Dublin. The sea axis of the spacecraft is uh, about one and a half degrees to the right of the landing plane, and of course that puts the uh, shadow of the lab off to the left because of the current sun location. Are you reading me all right? That's affirmative, Ann Terry's. We're copying you for Shortly after the descriptions ended, the crew ate their breakfast and prepared for their first moonwalk, EVA number one. After a couple of hours of prep work, with the crew fully suited and breathing off their portable life support systems, Houston gave the go for cabin depressurization. Both suits are tight, flip those two going back on, and we're standing by for cabin deep rest. Roger, stand by, Antares. Antares, this is Houston. Uh, you are a go for cabin deep rest. Uh, be sure and give us a mark when you start your watch at the uh, second deep rest. Okay. Okay, circuit breaker, cabin deep rest open. It's open now. Cabin repress valve closed. Closed now. Okay. And let's take the, uh... Let's get the overhead. I think it would be easier. That's you? I can get the forward one. Okay. How can I get that? Let me know uh, when it's 3.5. Okay. I think I'm going to be in your way. Mark. Okay, three, two, one, mark it. You're off and running. Time zero. 
Shepard now prepared to exit the door of Antares. Shepard referred to was the Lunar Equipment Conveyor. It was basically a clothesline they used to get the equipment transfer bag down to the surface. The equipment transfer bag contained the cameras and film magazines. Mitchell would attach the LEC pulley to the yellow bar in the overhead inside the cabin. As a side note, By the time of Apollo 16, the crews decided that the LEC was more trouble than it was worth and instead chose to carry most of their gear up and down the ladder by hand. On Apollo 14, Mitchell was the first to dispense with the LEC, at least in some instances, as he carried some gear up to the cabin by hand. While he's working on the LEC, let me comment that... uh it certainly is a stark place here at Fraumarl. I think it's made all the more stark by the fact that the sky is completely black. Roger. Okay, I have the conveyor now. Out of the bag. And it's deployed. And standing by to deploy the Mesa. And the Mesa has released. Al just pulled a release lanyard mounted to the left of the porch. By doing so, he let the Modular Equipment Storage Assembly, or MESA, which is hinged at the bottom, swing out and down to a working height. Among other items, the MESA contained the TV camera so everyone could watch Al and Ed climb down the ladder. Roger. Okay, Al. Beautiful. We can see you coming down the ladder right now. It looks like you're about on the bottom step. And on the surface. Not bad for an old man. Neil Armstrong did not reveal whether or how he scripted his famous first sentence on the moon. 
That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. But they seemed the perfect words to immortalize the occasion. Pete Conrad, the five foot six inch commander of Apollo 12, was somewhat less elegant with his first words. Whoopee, man! That may have been a small one for Neil, but it was a long one for me. Shepard clearly didn't give much advanced thought to his words. But just before 9 a.m., when Al stepped off and Terry's foil-covered footpad, the words he spoke were not for the timeless moon or even for the history books, but to mark the end of his own personal odyssey. And for those who knew the rough route he had taken to reach Framaro, what he said seemed appropriate enough. Al is on the surface, and it's been a long way, but we're here. Okay, you're right. Al is on the surface, and it's been a long way, but we're here. Finding his balance, Shepard made his way to one side of Antares, and cast his gaze to the east. There, beneath the solar glare, was the broad rise of Cone Crater. Tomorrow, on the second moonwalk, he and Mitchell would climb to its summit in search of geologic treasure. He told Houston the way would be clear. He could see that even from where he stood. Then Shepard realized that finally everything was going well. After all they had been through, he felt sure he would have his full-up mission. He took a moment to lean back so that he could look up into the black sky and near the zenith of his gaze found a small and lovely blue and white crescent. Suddenly he was overcome by the beauty of the earth, by the undeniable majesty of Framaro and by his own feeling of relief. Standing on the gray dust of this promised land, Shepard cried for several long moments while the checklist went unnoticed. His tears flowed in spite of himself. You know, I can see the uh, reason we have a tilt is because we landed on the slope. The uh, landing gear struts appear to be about evenly depressed. Roger out. And moving around, getting familiar, getting familiar with the surface. Surface in which the uh, forward footpad landed is extremely soft. Matter of fact, it's in a small depression. The, uh, the soil is so soft that it comes up all the way to the top of the footpad. They even fold it over the side to some degree. The same. Uh, we have a good traverse route up to the top of Cone. 
I can see Cone Ridge going along to the north. That's very apparent. As Mitchell prepared to exit Antares, Shepard returned to the Mesa to begin removing the MET, MET, which stands for Mobile Equipment Transporter. Basically, it was the handcart, or rickshaw, that was unique to this mission. It was stowed on the Mesa and was the first piece of equipment to be taken off. Al raised the Mesa some more to get at the Met. Before Al could finish, Ed began his trip down the ladder. As part of Ed's checklist, he was supposed to do an ascent check after climbing down the ladder. This was simply hopping back up to the first rung of the ladder. And he said it was very easy to do. The crew now went about their assigned task with Ed taking a contingency sample and Al getting the TV camera set up on the tripod. This time, a lens cap was provided for the camera to prevent the sun damage that occurred on Apollo 12. Okay, the lens cap is going on now, Houston. Uh, we set up the tripod. Shepard now setting the TV up on a tripod. And Houston, uh, allows getting that television. I'll go ahead and get my contingency uh, sample, get it out of the way. Roger, Ed. Mitchell now getting the contingency sample. This should be about two to four pounds of lunar materials. Houston, the contingency sample is being taken uh, about 25 feet to the, to the zero 100 position of the limb, uh, adjacent to a uh, about a five-foot crater. I'll identify it for you later. Roger, out. Uh, Alice, this is Houston. Uh, would you verify the lens still capped over? That's affirmative. Roger. Shepard positioning the television to get a view of the uh, Mesa and Ladder area on Antares. Okay, it's about 50 feet, I'd say. Why don't we get all the uh, cable out while we're at it? 
Although this was technically the second color TV signal from the moon, the first was of Shepard and Mitchell climbing down the ladder, the veteran newscaster Walter Cronkite was speechless for a moment after the lens cap was removed and the colorful view of Antares on the moon came up on his monitor. The television camera on the moon, of course, is not for the edification and amusement of those. Salutations from the foothills of North Carolina. This is Michael Annis, your host, and I wanted to say thanks for listening to episode number 313 of the Space Rocket History Podcast, entitled Apollo 14, Moonwalk 1, Part 1, Color TV from the Moon. Hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a pleasure bringing it to you. If you're looking for old episodes of the podcast, the first 144 are available on the Archive podcast. Search for Space Rocket History Archive. It should be available on all podcatchers. I had a few afterthoughts, of course, and I I imagine for most of my audience, you may be wondering what the big deal was about Color TV. Well, believe it or not, in February of 1971, Color TV was a big deal. From my point of view... Color TV was for the rich folks. I don't think we got a color TV until 72 or 73 at the earliest. My uncle got one, and that kind of helped persuade my father to shell out the big bucks for one. I can remember our first set was something called a Motorola Quasar, and the big selling point was It had its works in a drawer. In other words, the electronics were mounted in a sideways drawer that could be slid out for making repairs. If I recall correctly, that TV set was over $700 in 1970s money. 
which would be a great deal more in current dollars. So it was a big deal. And of course, there were scientific reasons NASA wanted the color TV picture as well. I didn't play all of Al setting up the camera. It was a bunch of adjusting the f-stops and the zoom and other things. But while this was going on, Walter Cronkite and Wally Sherall were commenting on what seemed relevant to them. Then, for some reason, Wally decided to make a reference to when he refused to turn on the TV camera during his Apollo 7 mission. Of course, Walter Cronkite remembered this. He said bitterly, I thought that was a funny exchange. Here's the clip. Okay, Al, now we'd like to uh, open it up to F-22. You've ever had your wife sitting across the room and while you adjust the color television set, imagine what Al Shepard's going through with mission control 238,000 miles away telling him what to set up. Of course, this is where I'd like to vindicate myself from way back, but I was anticipating the day that I'd watch television on the moon. I was accused of not wanting television in space. Uh, I remember. <laughs> he said bitterly. <laughs> the other thing is, I didn't know I was supposed to turn it on that day. <laughs> Wally said he didn't know he was supposed to turn it on that day? <laughs> Seriously, Wally? Anyway, I have the pictures posted for this uh, episode. They'll be at the website, spacerockethistory.com. I hope you check those out. Whoa, those dogs are mad. In case you were not aware, we have entered the dog days of summer, a time when contributions to support the podcast seem to dwindle. If you are financially able, please consider supporting the podcast. To do so, you can simply go to the homepage, spacerockethistory.com, click on the orange donate button to make a one-time donation or the Patreon link to make small monthly donations. We did receive a few contributions this week, Marco M. from California donated at the Orion level and earned a galaxy emoji. Patrick H. from Illinois donated at the Apollo level and earned a rocket emoji. Jeanette W. from Florida sent in another donation and moved to the Apollo level. Andreas W. donated at the Soyuz level. And Peter Y. donated for School Times International at the Mercury level and earned a rocket emoji. Thank you for supporting the Space Rocket History Podcast. We are now at 234 Patreon donors with a goal of reaching 300 for before the end of 2019. And our total donors have reached 391 with a goal of reaching 600 by the end of the year. For the 391 of you who have already donated for 2019, we certainly appreciate it. This week we're giving away the SRH logo magnet to one of our lucky donors. Here's Mrs. SRH. Thanks, Mike. And hello, everyone. I am happy to announce the winner of the SRH logo magnet. With the help of Google's random number generator, I selected Jim Miller. Jim Miller, if you would email us, mike at spacerockethistory.com, and tell us your address, 
we will mail this out to you. Thank you to all 391 of you who have contributed thus far in 2019. Okay, folks, that's all we have for this week. I'll try to have episode 314 posted by next Thursday. So long for now.